Welcome to Rediscovering the Spirit of Freedom in America, a Warhawk Air Museum podcast dedicated to preserving history and educating future generations about our veterans and their contributions to the freedoms we know as Americans today. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Nagel Foundation, celebrating 30 years of giving in Southwest Idaho. Hi, my name is Sue Paul, and uh, we're doing the third podcast for the Warhawk Air Museum. And uh, today we're so honored to be talking with Major Kristen Wolf. And uh, your nickname is Bayo? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We call sign. Oh, that's your call. How did you, can we ask how you get, how you got that? Uh, sure. I mean, generally you say you got, got to buy me a beer to, to get the call sign story. But um, I mean, every fighter pilot first gets their call sign in their first combat unit. Um, you know, you've been in the squadron six to 12 months, maybe. Um, and they have a naming ceremony and it depends on a lot of different things. It's, you know, either funny stories, silly stories, really awesome things you've done. Or, you know, mine obviously has to do with my last name. So Beowulf is what we call a natural um, so that's kind of the, the reasoning behind that, but you can have a ton of different stories and reasons behind people's call signs. That's a, it's a real, that's a real, uh, secret kind of thing that most of us who are not in the military always wonder about. Where did that come from? <laughs> Cause they're always great. They're always, you know, really cool sounding, uh, names. So, um, if it's okay with you, I'd like to kind of start off with, um, when you were growing up as a kid, of course, the first question mm-hmm. would always be, did you want to be a pilot? Is it a little girl? No, I didn't. So I was one of those rare ones that you probably talked to. Uh, I didn't want to be a fighter pilot since I was three years old. It kind of came to me later in life. Um, so my dad was a fighter pilot growing up, but kind of didn't really think much of it because I was kind of, you know, my dad, and that's kind of what he did uh, at work every day. So uh, very familiar with military lifestyle and all that moving around, uh, but really didn't think about it till later in life and college, actually. I started thinking about Air Force and aviation. What would what, you like to do in high school then? I mean, I played a variety of different sports growing up, and uh, I liked math and science. So that was kind of what led me to engineering and, you know, ultimately studying chemical engineering in, in college. But really didn't have an aviation hobby at all. Um, and, you know, I didn't go fly in, in airplanes on the weekend with my dad or anything, not, not very often at least. So, yeah, a little removed from it, ironically enough. What, uh, what happened? What changed your mind? Well, I started to go to job fairs in college um, for my chemical engineering degree and ultimately decided that, you know, that doesn't sound exciting enough for, you know, kind of an adrenaline junkie I learned at heart. So uh, it really just sounded pretty boring to continue to be an engineer. So I started looking at other, you know, career fields that would maybe suit that, that lifestyle. And I realized that I was, I was used to moving around a lot my whole life as a kid. And uh, so the military and the Air Force kind of suited uh, what I was looking for. And so when you, uh, so you joined the Air Force and uh, when, when did you, what was it like at basic then? And when did you decide what kind of fighter pilot you wanted to be? Yeah. So I was lucky that um, the university I was at had an Air Force ROTC program. So I could go right into that for the last two and a half years of college. So basic or what you think of boot camp is for the Air Force ROTC happens after your sophomore year of college. Uh, It's just four weeks during the summer. Um, where you go and, you know, you do the in-garrison kind of, you know, make your bed and uh, march around and wear uniforms and stuff. Uh, but it's really not, you know, as intense or, uh, you know, hard as they make it seem on, on TV and especially the Air Force variant when they're training officers isn't really, you know, doing push-ups and a bunch of, you know, uh, I don't know, ropes courses in the mud. But 
so that wasn't too bad. Um, and then your junior year is when you actually decide and compete for what you want to do as far as a job in the Air Force. Um, so uh, you can kind of put in your preferences of what you'd like to do. And then, you know, via your physical fitness scores, your GPA, um, your commander's ranking, all that kind of stuff goes into a calculator to, that determines whether you're competitive enough for an aviation-related career field. And do they decide for you if you're going to be a bomber pilot or a fighter pilot? No. So once you get selected, uh, you actually get, you know, you receive what's called a pilot slot your junior year. Um, and then once you graduate, you commission straight to the Air Force as well. And then you get a pilot training date, a class start date, and they tell you which base you're going to go to. Um, that pilot training is a year long. So the first six months is in the T6 Section 2. Um, that determines what kind of track you're going to go down, whether it's going to be a fighter, bomber, um, or a heavy or a helo track. And they basically, you know, rank you from 1 to 25 or how many people are in your class. And they, you know, they go to the number one person and ask them what they want. So they keep going down the list until they run out of fighter spots or, you know, they usually have one or two helo spots. Mm-hmm. Um, but those top people or whoever wants fighters um, at the top of the list goes to that track and, and so forth. So at the end of the year, they do it again for what type of fighter you're going to fly. Were you happy with what uh, you ended up getting? Were you happy? Was that what you wanted? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I went into pilot training with a really open mind. I didn't know what I wanted to fly. Uh, obviously, every single type of airframe in the Air Force has its pros and cons for various reasons of, you know, getting to travel a ton more, getting to work with a crew versus the squadron of fighter pilots, um, or getting to, you know, take different services into combat, like on helos. Um, everything is completely different uh, depending on what airplane you fly. So. I had a pretty open mind, and then those first six months, tried to talk to instructors, um, other people um, that had done, you know, been there, done that, and tried to ask, you know, what was your favorite part, least favorite part, um, to try to figure out what was the best fit for me. How, what was it like being in the Air Force compared to growing up with the Air Force? You know, I, I'm pretty familiar with it, so, but I never, and I, so I grew up around the squadron lifestyle. I grew up, you know, around fighter pilots and my dad's fighter pilots. Obviously, I didn't see, like, the behind-the-scenes fighter pilots that, you probably think of versus, you know, just my dad when he comes home. Um, but so it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's everything I imagined as far as traveling, uh, flying a fighter airplane, flying a, flying a fifth gen airplane, um, and getting that squadron camaraderie that you have with the other pilots uh, is really, really fun. And it's kind of everything that people talk about when they talk about, you know, fighter squadrons. What did your father fi- fi- fly? What was the fighter that he flew? Yeah, he started off as an F-4 navigator in the back seat, and then he transitioned to the F-15C model as a pilot, um, flew that, uh, instructed in the T-38 uh, for fighter fundamentals course, uh, but ultimately finished out in the C model. Okay, so were you guys, did you did you develop a really good rapport in talking, fighter pilot talk, airplane talk, jet, <laughs> jet talk? Yeah, I have to tell him to stop talking about fighter planes over Christmas and all my vacation <laughs> breaks because I don't want to talk about work. Um, but yeah. he loves it. He tries to, to talk about planes as much as he can. He still flies. So yeah. um, we'll kind of share stories every so often. But I steer, steer him clear so he doesn't talk my ear off for an hour. Uh huh. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. A younger brother and a younger sister. Anyone going to the military besides you? No, they are, yeah. we are as different as we can as far as siblings concerned. So totally different. So really the reason that you've, when you, the quote, one of the questions is uh, what do you attribute to the path that you chose? And it really is, uh, you pretty much chose that yourself, didn't you? I mean, you were around your father all those years growing up as a fighter pilot, but it sounds like you made a decision that you just didn't want to be just an engineer. You wanted something more exciting to use with your knowledge and what you had learned yeah. in school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I was, I was lucky enough to where, um, 
always tell kids, uh, especially young kids, you know, in high school, is it's okay if you don't know every single thing you want to be when you grow up and exactly what path you want to go down. I wasn't one of those kids who always knew what I wanted to do. You know, I, my dad kind of pushed me in the engineering direction because that's a super valuable uh, career, you know, um, education to have. But um, I really just kind of did my best at what I was doing at the time. And then, you know, that kept doors open uh, for the future to, you know, figure out what I wanted to do later in life, like join ROTC or join the Air Force. So how, how much of a, of a uh, how important was uh, the STEM uh, programs that you were taught in school? Because STEM didn't exist when your father was growing up and going to school. And it, and it did for you. Could you tell yeah. us a little bit about that just for future kids to understand why, why those programs are important to them? Yeah. And honestly, I don't, I think STEM's putting a name on it and putting um, those kind of programs in for kids' education way earlier uh, is super important. Um, you know, I don't remember hearing about the word STEM until probably I actually got to Hill Air Force Base uh, a couple of years ago when they asked me to participate in those programs, particularly, you know, young girls or women in STEM. Um, so the fact that they're kind of highlighting that and just exposing kids to it earlier um, and more often is really important. Um, whether the kid's going to be interested in it and pursue that as a career, um, you know, whether that's, that's cool whether it happens or not, uh, but people need to be exposed to it because that's kind of the way that you know, the future is going in technology. And um, so starting with kids young is super important. You know, we even have a, a sixth grade and fifth grade uh, program on base where we bring in local oh, really? school kids. And it's really, really cool to see them, you know, oh, exposed yeah. to even things like 3D printing and robotics that, you know, I never even thought about when I was a, a little kid other than doing kind of household science experiments at home. Yeah. So where did you go to college? I went to the University of Alabama. And did, and you majored in chemistry? Chemical engineering. Chemical engineering. And why did you do, pick chemical engineering? At that time, you weren't even thinking uh, of being a pilot. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, in high school, I had I had zero clue what I wanted to do. Um, I took some career tests uh, that my dad had me take that said, you know, you know, based on your interests and what you like and what you're good at, these are probably good careers for you. Um, so I had no idea. Um, I knew I, I always loved math, and uh, that was kind of my strong suit. I loved science as well. Um, and so that's what I was interested in high school. That's what I always did well at. Um, and my dad was an engineer as well. So he kind of was like, you know, I thought about being a doctor uh, just because all the kids want to be a doctor because they make a lot of money. And that's what you see on TV shows. Um, but having an engineering background, you know, you can still pursue medicine if you'd like to. Um, but having an engineering specifically background is a different way of thinking um, that they teach you. And that was kind of important that my dad steered me in that direction. And so you graduated then with, uh, with your degree, and uh, it was soon after that that you made the decision about uh, going into the Air Force. So did you go in as an officer because you had a four-year degree? Yep. Uh, so if you have a bachelor's degree, um, and I did the RTC program, so uh, it's pretty cool. You already get your job, like I said, junior or senior year. Um, so you already know where you're going to go, what your training date is. Um, and, you know, the day you graduate, it was the day after that that I commissioned into the Air Force. Um, some people left the next week uh, to go off and, and, you know, go to pilot training or other careers. Uh, I had a month to wait. So, you know, went home for a little vacation and then went straight into the Air Force after that. So, yeah, but as a bachelor's degree, is the requirement to be an officer, uh, which is the requirement to be a pilot. Definitely. Do you think that, uh, uh, that the STEM program uh, has helped you become successful or it was a, uh, contributed to your success with your degree and also with your, with your flying today? Yeah, um, obviously, I have not used one ounce of chemical engineering probably since I left. Um, but like I said, just an engineering background is just, it's a philosophy and it's a way that it teaches you how to think and problem solve. 
Um, so that is something that you use as a pilot all the time, whether you're doing military flying, you know, fighter jet flying or Cessna flying, whatever. Uh, you're going to encounter problems, and engineering uh, teaches you a way to think. So that was super important. Um, I mean, I will say we have every single – people ask me if whether you need to be in, you know, an aeronautical engineer or a physics major to be a pilot, especially a fighter pilot. And I'll say absolutely not true. Um, we do a little bit of basic math, like fuel flow. Uh, calculations in the cockpit, but there's nothing cosmic that happens in the fighter pilot's brain. Um, we have every single major under the sun, you know, business, sociology, psychology, everything. Um, it really just matters that you, you graduate and you get a bachelor's degree and you have a good GPA. What was the first plane you flew then? What did you solo in? Um, I never soloed until the Air Force. Yeah. So, in the, in the uh, Air Force. yeah. Once yeah. You joined and um, then- yeah, if you don't have, right now, the way it goes is if you don't have a private pilot's license, they put you through a DA-20. Um, so they take you about 11 to 12 rides in as your first solo. Um, so, you know, they take you out 11 rides, take, you know, teach you just basic, they teach you the military way of flying, uh, which can be a little bit different than general aviation, but uh, that was my first solo. Uh, and then you also soloed the T-6 and the T-38. And then from there, you step into what? After your basic training in the airplanes. Uh, yeah, so T6, T38, and then uh, you get your whatever plane you're going to fly. And so the next one I flew after that uh, was the F-22. Okay, and how long were you in the F-22? And what were you doing? What was your assignment at that point? Um, yeah, so you do about eight months of F-22 training before you get to your first combat unit. Um, and so I was in the F-22 for about three and a half years total up at Langley Air Force Base, Virginia. Um, so you, in that assignment, you're just assigned to a combat unit where, you know, you train every single day out over the water to a variety of different missions, and then you either go deploy with the squadron or go to various training exercises to get ready for work. When did you get into the F-35? Uh, 2017, so about four years ago. And how did that compare to what you had been flying? It's, it's very, very similar to the F-22, actually. Uh, they're both fifth-gen aircraft, so stealth is kind of the name of the game when you start to think about fifth-gen. Um, so the sensors, the avionics, the radar, the weaponry, um, is all very, very, very similar in those two airplanes, as well as the tactics um, and the mission sets. So you just got, you know, the F-22 is more optimized for air-to-air, F-35 more for air-to-ground, but they complement each other extremely well. So uh, I'd say I probably had the easiest transition from a, you know, a previous fighter airplane to the F-35. And when by the time you got into the F-35, did, had you found that you really loved flying? Yeah, um, just because I think the variety of experiences that you get and um, how the military teaches you to think about being a pilot and solving those problems um, and how much trust they put in you, especially from a young age to go, you know, as a, what, 23, 24-year-old puts you straight into an F-22 and and lets you take off the first time by yourself. Um, And so it all comes down to the training that they give you is so top-notch and so structured that... Uh, that's pretty empowering to go, you know, as a first lieutenant and just take off in that plane. Mm-hmm. So that transitions all the way, you know, it's been 10 years later, you're still a seasoned pilot flying the F-35. Wow. Um, wow. So that's it's pretty great. cool to look back at those that is so, experiences. That is so cool. It's such an incredible fighter. Tell What about the, uh, so how did you get involved with the F-35 demo, demo team and what is that? Yeah, there's four single ship fighter demo teams right now. The F-35 is up at Hill Air Force Base. So the demo team is just a very, very, very small subset of what we do at Hill. We have about 15 members on the team. We go to about 20 air shows a year. And so we'll travel all over the world, mostly the United States, sometimes Canada. Um, but we go to air shows and we perform for people. We do a single ship routine. So it's not like the Thunderbirds of Blue Angels that are flying in formation together. 
Um, but we're showing off, you know, as much as we can about the airplane without, you know, being in combat and dropping bombs and missiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the max, cap- you know, turn capability, loops, rolls, all that kind of stuff uh, for about 15 minutes at an air show. So how is, uh, how is being a de- demo pilot different from uh, other assignments that you might have? How, how is that unique? Yeah, it's completely different. Um, so in a combat squadron, which I was in at, you know, at Langley with the Raptor and here at Hill, uh, with the 35s, we are training every single day out on the range, um, you know, dropping simulated bombs, shooting simulated missiles, doing all of the combat tactics that we would want if we were going to go fight, you know, a near-peer threat like Russia, China, Iran, something like that. Um, so that's what we're trained to every single day versus, you know, the demo is going to fly at air shows. So uh, doing aerobatics, uh, especially close to the ground, and just flying as a single ship uh, fighter is totally different. It's just you up in the sky with your maintenance team kind of prepping the jet for you um, and doing all the narration, the music and, and setting that up and traveling so much. Um, so it's, it's night and day flying, uh, totally different, a different way to think about, you know, employing the airplane, but really, really fun at the same time. And a lot, and it's formation flying, isn't it? It's understanding formation. Yeah. So when we're flying the actual demo profile, which is about 15 minutes, that's purely you know, aerobatics of the F-35. And then, um, for most of the air shows, we're lucky enough to transition to a heritage flight, um, flying with uh, warbirds and civilian pilots uh, that are authorized to fly with us. So that's a really, really unique aspect of the air show that people get to see sometimes. Why the heritage flight? How did that come about? And why is it important to to go to air shows and, uh, and do heritage flights? Uh, yeah, heritage flight is an amazing uh, feat that these planes are still flying, obviously, uh, but that they get to fly, you know, have a World War II airplane. Uh, most of the time we fly alongside P-51s, um, but if you get that airplane flying next to the newest fighter jet out there, the F-35, that is so cool. Um, and it's cool for people that get to understand that history to see those two airplanes flying uh, next to each other um, to say, hey, you know, that's, that's how it used to look like fighting war in a fighter plane. And this is what it looks like now. Yeah, exactly. Um, two totally different generations. Yeah, uh, one year down at uh, Chino, Steve Hinton used both of our P-40s in the Heritage flight. And I think it was an F-16 that was uh, was in the Heritage mm-hmm. at that time. It, it's We have the most beautiful, huge picture of that on our wall because it's exactly as you described it. Those were the best fighters, the best uh, technology in the world during World War II. And look what we have now. I think it's just a great way for the public to see how far we've come, how important aviation is in our military. Uh, when was the first time you did a Heritage flight and were you nervous? How did, what was that like? Yeah, um, well, actually, as you start to spin up as a demo pilot, uh, part of the training is to go fly with one of the Heritage uh, civilian pilots. There's only nine of them that are qualified to fly with us right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, are qualified in a bunch of different airplanes. But I got to fly with B.A. Anders in a P-51 um, out at the Moody Air Show in Georgia. And so, you know, he put me in the back seat. It was a TF, so there was actually stick and throttle back there. So he let me fly around a little bit as we were waiting for the air show as we rejoined with a F-22 on our wing and you just got to see kind of the behind the scenes aspect of what it looks like. And, you know, then fast forward six months where it was my time for, to do the training in an F-35. And it was really cool because we have a yearly training conference down in Tucson where all those heritage uh, pilots come, they bring all their Warbird airplanes. So you're talking, you know, F-86, P-40, P-38, P-51s, A-1s, all those planes that we get to fly next to. And they try to give you an experience to fly with you know, different pilots, but also the different airframes to see what it's like, because every single one of those airplanes flies totally differently. 
but they're for sure different than flying next to an F-35. Oh, wow. It's just a completely different flight control system. And for them, um, uh, do they get to, uh, they can't take a ride in an F-35 to see what it looks like <laughs> the plane next to no. So you've got a little bit of an advantage that way, right? I wish. Um, yeah, the F-22s and F-35s are all single seat, which is unfortunately right. can't take people up. But I know some of those guys are courageous enough to go back in the backseat of an F-16 and they fly his, the demo with him, yeah. which is a, you know, a rage fest of nine G's and oh. very aggressive maneuvering. So I don't know how those guys do it when, you know, they're 30 years older than I am and my back already hurts. Well, I hope that you get to uh, fly one of those warbirds one of these days. I mean, certainly that would be something you would be able to do. You know, a lot of, a lot of these guys get right out of, uh, you know, a little tiny trainer and climb into a, a fighter plane, a P-40 or a Mustang, this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, you, you, you could do it. That would be quite an experience, wouldn't it? course you probably feel oh, yeah. probably feel like you're going one mile an hour i mean the difference <laughs> would be yeah you just gotta understand it's, it's totally different yeah not having a radar and having no clue what's out there but yeah right. absolutely so do you hope to stay with the heritage program then for the years to come or is that your choice um it's an assignment just like any other so you can stay with the demo and the heritage flight for uh a couple of years and then they transition you know a different pilot in just because you're super lucky to be able to even be on the demo team and just get fly with these guys. Very rare opportunity. So we've got to, you know, rotate as many people in to get that experience. And then, you know, you got to put the pilots back into the combat lifestyle. So that's kind of what yeah. we're trained to do. Right. Yeah. So going to air shows is fun, but it's, it's totally different. So oh, yeah. you can't get spoiled for too long. How long uh, do you plan to stay in the Air Force? Is this a, a lifetime um, achievement? This is what you'd like to do for your life? I don't know. Um, the Air Force has obviously been really good to me as far as, you know, I've been, had great assignments flown the most amazing airplanes. Um, right now, the commitment is 10 years after training. So every pilot in the Air Force owes generally about 11 to 12 years uh, total before they're allowed to get out. So um, I'm coming up on that. So I'll finish out this demo and heritage flight uh, kind of path here. And then I'll have the opportunity to make a decision there whether I, you know, continue on to 20 or further um, or, you know, get out and explore the, the civilian GA side of things, which is also super exciting. Well, you're, you're such an inspiration to young women today who are possibly considering a career in the military, a career as a pilot. It's so inspiring to talk with you, someone like you who made that decision. You did the right things to get there. Um, you know, when you look back on World War II and women like Kay Gott Chaffee, who were the wasps of World War II, were so restricted and so uh, really, you know, had a lot of prejudice against them. And uh, she called she called herself a Mustang pilot because that's what she flew. And and we look at today, she would have loved meeting you. Believe me, she would be so proud of, of where you are today, where women today are in the military and in uh, the Air Force and uh, as, as pilots. So uh, good for you for doing this. And I hope that when you uh, ever have the chance to come to Napa, that uh, you're going to come visit the Warhawk Air Museum and, and, <laughs> and, and let me show you. And you can climb in a P-40 or a Mustang and, uh, you know, take a good look at it. So we would just love that. And we're sure looking forward to your coming over the field. We'll all be out there waving at you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about what you've achieved? I think this is going to be a very important podcast. A lot of people will be listening to it. So just want to be sure that we've, you know, have everything you'd like to leave on here um, um sure yeah i think we've hit the highlights but um we always especially in the demo team you know everybody talks about you know being a woman being a minority and all that kind of stuff and that's true 
Um, and you have all those people to look up to, like the WASP, you said, you know, like the first female fighter pilot or the first pilot in combat or female fighter pilot in combat. Um, but in reality, we like to highlight that, it's, you know, it's not about who's actually in the airplane. It's about flying the airplane. Um, that's the coolest part is because airplanes don't know the difference who's behind the controls. And you'd always be surprised who gets out and takes the helmet off and what they look like or how tall or short they are, or what minority they are. It's, it's always pretty cool. Um, but like you said, it's, it's always cool for little kids to see somebody that looks like them get out of an airplane. And uh, you still have people to this day come up to you and, and say that, you know, I didn't know they let so-and-so fly fighter planes or even airplanes in general. And mm-hmm. um, just to kind of try to make that impact and spread that word, yeah. um, even through the aviation community, um, right. whether it's GA or, or even military, it is pretty special. Boys and girls both have a goal, a game, you know, plan early and make your plans and stay with it. I mean, get study hard, take the classes you think you need to have, and uh, be prepared like you were, even though you hadn't made a choice yet. Pretty neat. Yeah, leave those doors open. Yeah, you did. You had the doors open. Well, I bet your mom and dad are very proud of you, and so are your siblings. We are proud of you. So, thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Say hey, we're it's a truly at, we're humbling job to have. Yeah, yo, no, we're we're looking forward to uh, seeing you over the skies of Napa, and over the Warhawk Air Museum, and uh, especially looking forward to your visiting in person sometime. Thank yeah, you. same, absolutely. Thanks for being here with us. Of course, thank you too. All right, you be safe. Thank you for listening, and we hope you can join us August 28th and 29th, 2021 for the 19th Annual Warhawk Roundup. Tickets are available now at warhawkairmuseum.org.